0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. And now another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. That doesn't sound good.
1: The paper shredder's jammed, but I think I've fixed it.
0: Oh, well, try
2: shredding these $50 bills then. Seems like it's working. Mm, better try another $400. Bucks.
0: Stop instead of using money use regular paper and here's a better tip from progressive on how not to waste money don't pay too much for car insurance drivers who switch and save could save hundreds progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates potential savings will vary
2: at the home depot we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right
3: welcome to episode number 11 of audio judo does jazz i'm matthew co-host of the audio judo podcast the parent show to this spin-off limited series podcast both audio judo and audio judo does jazz are proud members of the pantheon podcast network if you are interested in any genre of music you need to check out pantheon i guarantee you'll be able to find a podcast that interests you please go to pantheonpodcasts.com for a full list of their offerings On this episode your host chris takes a further dive into the genius of john coltrane this time focusing on the year 1965. there are a lot of spiritual elements at play here so buckle up i'll meet you back here for some album recommendations after the show and here's your host chris
1: There's this book coming out and they asked me to write uh something about Woody. Uh sort of like what does Woody Guthrie mean to you in twenty-five words. And uh and I couldn't do it. I wrote out five pages and uh I have it here. It's uh, I have it here by accident actually. <laughs> but but I, I'd I'd like to say this out loud. So uh If you can sort of roll along with this thing here. This is called Last Thoughts on Woody Guthrie. Um, When your head gets twisted and your mind grows numb, when you think you're too old. And where do you look for this hope that you're seeking? Where do you look for this lamp that's burning? Where do you look for this oil while gushing? Where do you look for this candle that's glowing? Where do you look for this hope that you know is there and out there somewhere? And your feet can only walk down two kinds of roads. Your eyes can only look through two kinds of windows. Your nose can only smell two kinds of hallways. You can touch and twist and turn two kinds of doorknobs. You can either go to the church of your choice or you go to Brooklyn State Hospital. You find God in the church of your choice, you find Woody Guthrie in Brooklyn State Hospital. And know it's only my opinion. I may be right or wrong. You find them both in Grand Canyon Sundown.
4: That's the ending of the Bob Dylan poem, Last Thoughts on Woody Guthrie which can be found on volume one of his bootleg series. The entire recitation of the poem is about seven minutes long. I'll include a link in the notes section if you'd like to hear it. Some of the music I'm going to talk about in this episode is a little out there and might not be the most accessible you've ever heard. But if I can convince you to at least give Bob's entire recitation a shot, then I'll have accomplished something. It's as relevant today as it was when he performed it in April 1963, even more so. There's no way in God's green earth that I can sum up everything that the poem is about. But it's somewhere in the vicinity of, one, looking for a meaning in this crazy world we live in. Two, trying to connect with something larger in order to survive in this crazy world we live in. And three, finding something special and real in this crazy world that we live in. Ironically, while Bob is explaining a lot of what's going on in my head right now, it's a poem about not being able to express oneself. At least I think that's irony. I don't know if irony exists anymore, as it's so prevalent in all the air that we breathe, in all the words that we read, and in all the images that we see. I think it's just become a synonym for life these days. One of the key phrases towards the end of the poem is the church of your choice. I think I may have said in an early episode that I had been raised Catholic without knowing I had a choice. Catholicism had been a fine source in giving me a bit of guidance. I learned about reverence. I learned about guilt. Christmas and Easter felt special, though that may have had more to do with the power of family than Jesus. Images and symbols and being a part of a weekly audience held a sense of power, but I just never felt convinced. I went through the motions. In episode three of Audio Judo Does Jazz, I talked about my road to Damascus conversion, watching a single hour of John Coltrane and his band perform. I have had a few religious experiences in my life, and that is one of them. I connected to this wordless sound. I felt guidance, a direction, a path. Inside this swirling maelstrom of sound and thunder, I felt the warmth of my mother's embrace. I felt the security and protection my father provided for everybody around him. I felt the sacrifice of time and effort on my parents' behalf. I saw the example of hard work, the striving towards excellence. These four guys in the John Coltrane Quartet cracked the shell of my limited perception of life. They opened up a new world of limitless expression to me. I felt love and joy and serenity in a way I'd never felt before. I'm not going to get in a semantic debate with you. There's no need to talk about worship or prayer or faith or dogma or blasphemy. Like most people in the world, I believe there's something out there greater than ourselves, some force outside of our reach of understanding. But for me, there's no point in defining what that is. Listening to the music of John Coltrane is the closest my younger self ever felt towards God. That is until I met my wife and we had kids, but that's a discussion for another day. What we're here to discuss is John Coltrane's magnificent year of 1965. In 12 months, from December 1964 through November 1965, Coltrane recorded up to about 15 albums or so worth of music. There are a couple less than official releases. There's some swapping of tracks here and there during the transition from vinyl to CD. So there's a bit of confusion as to which tracks ended up on which albums. But CDs offered more room to fit tracks onto disc. And with Coltrane in 1965, with so many recordings lasting 10, 20, 30, up to 40 minutes long, you needed a lot more room. That is Resolution, part two of the four-part suite that is the album A Love Supreme. It's probably the most accessible melody that Coltrane plays on the entire record. McCoy Tyner dominates this section of the suite on piano later on in this track, but this melody sounded like the best place to start us off. We have come to the third and final part of the Eric Dolphy arc in this series. Eric Dolphy had a profound effect on John Coltrane while he had lived. They had been at the forefront of the avant-garde in the early 1960s together pushing the music in every direction. Upon Eric Dolphy's passing, Coltrane said, Whatever I'd say would be an understatement. I can only say my life was made much better by knowing him. He was one of the greatest people I've ever known, as a man, a friend, and a musician. As the story goes, Eric Dolphy's parents gave his flute and bass clarinet to Coltrane. They said they thought they heard Eric practicing, like he always did, and it kept them awake at night. What kind of effect does this have on Coltrane? For someone who had become the man of the house at the age of 12 after both his father and grandfather passed away, for someone who had too many ideas and not enough time to express them up on stage, I think Dolphy's passing gave him focus. I think after a couple of years of putting out albums with ballads and performing a lot of the old warhorses live, I think he felt the urgency to release something important in the world. What's in a name? With a number of song titles for Coltrane in 1965, I believe it's intent. A Love Supreme, Song of Praise, Ascension, Dear Lord, Amen, Om, The Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. He's not overly concerned with earthly matters anymore. There aren't any titles like Swing for Bumsy, or Moose the Mooch, or Baya coming out at this time in his career. Coltrane's On a Spiritual Quest. He's done working out his musical puzzles. He's got actual prayers to send upward and outward, taking us with him along the way. His first release after Dolphy's passing is often cited as the greatest artistic achievement of his career. A Love Supreme, recorded in December 1964 and released in January the following year, has garnered all the accolades. As late as 2003 and 2012, It placed on the top 50 of Rolling Stone Magazine's greatest albums of all time. Jazz critic Tom Hull wrote that it was the most perfectly plotted single piece of jazz ever recorded. It is also his highest selling album. If there is a cool kit of records for jazz hipsters, this one has to be in there. However, let me say that I don't recommend this as the first Coltrane album to listen to. As mentioned in episode 3 of this podcast, in the first Coltrane episode, I think a new listener would be better served listening to Blue Train, Giant Steps, My Favorite Things, and some of his other work with Miles Davis and Thelonious Monk before taking on A Love Supreme. A Love Supreme had been the first album of Coltrane's that I picked up, you know, based on Bono's recommendation. I didn't really have the tools to understand the album until after watching that video and becoming a full convert. This record is the beginning of Coltrane straining against the earthbound limitations of his instrument. The quartet has played together for about four years now, and they're playing at an advanced level of telepathy with one another. While it is the first record from this episode that I would recommend, you've got to learn to walk before you can soar into the heavens. He wrote the liner notes for the album In Love Supreme, and they go a little something like this. Dear listener, all praise be to God whom all praises due." Let us pursue him in the righteous path. Yes, it is true, seek and ye shall find. Only through him can we know the most wondrous bestowal. During the year 1957, I experienced, by the grace of God, a spiritual awakening which was to lead me to a richer, fuller, more productive life. At that time, in gratitude, I humbly asked to be given the means and privilege to make others happy through music. I feel this has been granted through his grace. All praise to God. As time and events moved on, a period of irresolution did prevail. I entered into a phase which was contradictory to the pledge and away from the esteemed path. But thankfully, now and again through the unerring and merciful hand of God, I do perceive and have been duly re-informed of his omnipotence and our need for independence on him. At this time, I would like to tell you that no matter what, it is with God. He is gracious and merciful. His way is in love, through which we all are. It is truly a love supreme. While for Coltrane this is a religious venture, you don't have to believe in any specific religion to enjoy this. In the liner notes to his album Meditations, he states that it doesn't matter what particular religion, if any, a listener professes because he says, I believe in all religions.
1: Love supreme,
4: love love That is Acknowledgement, part one of the album, A Love Supreme. I chose this piece for two reasons. One, so you can hear that chant of a love supreme, along with the phrase played on the bass, a phrase I find myself humming every now and then. And two, at the beginning, you can hear the polyrhythms of Elvin Jones on drums. In everything you ever read, the polyrhythmic stylings of Elvin Jones. He's playing more than one rhythm at a time. I never really understood or heard exactly what they meant. I just knew that I loved how he played, with such precision, such rhythm, and such power but I think I heard some polyrhythms going on in there. All it took was 30 years to hear it. As I mentioned earlier, McCoy Tyner's playing dominates the second movement, Resolution. Elvin dominates the third movement, Pursuance. Bassist Jimmy Garrison also has a solo towards the end of Pursuance. The fourth movement, Psalm, is really interesting. It doesn't sound like anything that Coltrane has played before. It's because Coltrane plays the notes to the words of a Psalm he's written. There isn't a flurry of notes being played here. There isn't any straining going on. The notes refer to specific words, and he wants those words to be heard. I'll leave a link for you to follow along in the notes section.
5: Well, I think that uh, music, being an expression of the human heart or of the human being itself, does express just what is happening. The whole of a human experience at this particular time that is it, being expressed.
4: I don't know that the John Coltrane Quartet Plays album is essential, but that's like saying the Beatles album Beatles for Sale might not be essential, which is a joke. You still want the songs. You still want to hear the continuity, the growth. It's still better than 90% of everything else you're liable to hear. Just like the Beatle albums from the mid to later period of their career, matched up against some of his other recordings from 1965, the John Coltrane Quartet Plays album might not reach the highest heights, It is the first record he cut in the new year, recorded in sessions in February and May. If you like the song My Favorite Things, or a Coltrane soprano playing, or a Waltz time signature, or Julie Andrews for that matter, the plays album contains his version of the Mary Poppins song Chim Chim Chirree. The track Song of Praise has a nice bass solo at the beginning and a wonderful sax solo to close it out. Along with Welcome and Love from later on in 1965, It's one of the more serene recordings from this era. Brasilia is a workout song that the band has played live going as far back as 1961. I think it's important to note that when I talk about the music of John Coltrane, what I'm actually saying is that from 1961 to 1965, the music is created by these four guys. There's a balance with the four instruments. Coltrane and Elvin provide the fire. Tyner provides the fleet elegance of coolness on the piano. That must mean Jimmy Garrison keeps him grounded on Earth. Or that's him providing space in the air? I I don't know. It's sometimes hard to hear him through all the commotion. As a listener, you could choose to listen to the music as one sound, layered in artistry and telepathy, things I can't fully understand with only two ears to perceive them. Or you could attempt to listen to each musician on his own terms, within the context of that sound. And just as I say that, up comes the recording session with Elvin Jones absent from the band. Sometimes Elvin Jones wouldn't be available for one reason or another. More often than not, Coltrane would call on drummer Roy Haynes to help fill in. The album Dear Old Stockholm is made up of two different sessions with Haynes on drums, one from 1963 and the other from May 26, 1965. The three tracks from 1965 recorded a mere nine days after the John Coltrane Quartet plays album, are all outstanding. One Down, One Up, After the Crescent, and Dear Lord. I'm not trying to convert you to the Church of John Coltrane, but I will say that once you get locked into what they're doing, everything becomes essential. Elvin Jones said that most people who listen seriously to John Coltrane's music eventually acquire all of his recordings. I became one of those guys. It's not that every recording is groundbreaking, I mean, they might have been. It's hard as a non-musician to separate some of these recordings in 1965 from one another. There's a lot of strain and anguish coming out of that tenor saxophone, testing its earthbound limitations. But I want to hear each record. I might find something new each time I listen. The playing is so expansive, it takes several listens, or maybe even several hundred listens, to have a clear-cut idea as to what's going on. Is the song transition from the posthumous release transition and with what he put out this year there were a lot of posthumous releases recorded a mere two weeks or so after the roy Haynes session it's one of my favorite albums of the john coltrane quartet i would highly recommend this as one of the first records to listen to of his 1965 work you've got the band firing on all cylinders on this track later on in the song coltrane's horn borders on the ecstatic Welcome is one of the calmer pieces to come out of 1965. Vigil is a duet between Coltrane and Elvin Jones, which may or may not be your cup of tea. Those two pieces may also be found on the Kulu Si Mama album. It's hard to keep track of these days. The Living Space album is also made up of recordings made on June 10th and June 16th. The material for this album didn't get released until 1998. I had the album, but didn't listen to it for a while. My passion for jazz at the time had been diminished. It's not until recently that I discovered its charms, and I think it's just as essential as any of the other material that had been recorded that year. It's at this point in the story when we chance upon ascension. I'm sure for some of you, that track didn't end fast enough. I remember listening to Ascension 25 years ago and mentally writing it off as just a bunch of chaotic noise. I couldn't comprehend it at all. It sounded like a bunch of noise and then a solo, more noise then a solo. This continued for about 40 minutes. What use did I have for that recording? Why had this been labeled a five-star album? Why had it been considered a landmark record every self-respecting fan of jazz should have in their collection? I had a two-disc CD set called The Major Works of John Coltrane, and it contained both takes of Ascension, as well as the tracks Om, Kulu Mama, and Selflessness. I didn't play it very often. In fact, I'm pretty sure I went decades without playing it. Life is too short. Why pummel your ears with something so abrasive, so merciless? So unyielding and so long. The ascension in the title refers to Jesus Christ ascending into heaven 40 days after his resurrection. That's all fine and good, but what does it have to do with us? What does it have to do with our day to day? I listened to this on the way to work one morning recently, and I began to relate to it. It's got a structure. It is a direct descendant of Ornette Coleman's album Free Jazz. On that album as well, There are solos wrapped around what sounds like a Greek chorus of noise. But this time, the noise didn't sound as noisy or as chaotic as it used to sound. I think it's because I've grown accustomed to the noise. Because that's what we live in these days. An abrasive, merciless, unyielding shitstorm of noise. A Greek chorus of voices that don't follow any rules of decorum. They don't care what kind of negative effect they have on our lives. I never hear of anything pleasant going on in the world. Do you? It's so hard to keep my family above it all. It's so hard to rise above everything that's going on in our world. This song had different intentions, clearly, but that's what it means to me at this point in my life. I listen hard for some guidance from any of the musicians that play on this track to help me deal with what's going on. I wait for the string to help me out of this labyrinth. Sorry about that. I needed something serene for a second there. That is the song, Welcome. You can find that on either the Transition or Kulu Se Mama album, whichever you find first. While Coleman had a double quartet of eight guys playing on his track, Coltrane invited seven more guys to join his quartet, including two trumpets, two alto sax players, two more tenor sax players, and an additional bassist. This includes Archie Shepp and Ferro Sanders the two additional tenor saxophonists of the group. They would become two of the standard bearers of the avant-garde. They would go on to play with Coltrane's quartet on several occasions each throughout the year, with Sanders staying with Coltrane for a couple of years or so. After recording a live date at the Newport Jazz Festival on July 2nd, which can be found on an album he shares with Archie Shep called New Thing at Newport, we come up to my favorite portion of Coltrane's recordings from the year 1965. These would be the last three recordings of the John Coltrane Quartet as it had existed for about five years. One, A Love Supreme recorded live in Antibes on July 26, 1965. Two, Sonship recorded August 26, 1965. And three, First Meditations recorded September second, 1965, just a week later. So over the course of five weeks, Coltrane recorded three of my favorite albums of all time. The live version of A Love Supreme is all you'd want from a live version of one of your favorite songs. It's longer. It's liver. At times, it sounds better than the original. The third section, Pursuance, is a good 10 minutes longer than the version on the original record. The first time I heard it, it blew me away. The CD I had wasn't the most legitimate of releases, but you can find the recording officially released now, on a deluxe version of the original album. If you're going to invest in the original album, you might as well get the live version as well. Now, Sonship is a beast. Everyone in the band is playing at their absolute peak. It's not just in the title track. Every song is just amazing. The album had finally been released on CD in 1995, well after I'd done a lot of my book research. I had never heard of the record before. Imagine my surprise when it instantly became my favorite John Coltrane album. First Meditations is Coltrane's first attempt at a series of songs he would return to later on in November with an expanded band. These include Love, Joy, Serenity, Compassion, consequences. What can I say about three of my favorite albums of all time? Anything I would say would be an understatement. Any talent I might have for superlatives has left me, which is just in time for both the expansion of and the eventual breakup of the John Coltrane Quartet. Just as in the recordings of Ascension, John Coltrane wanted more, more sounds, more rhythms, more collaborators in following through on his vision for his music. After two takes of Ascension, Alvin Jones apparently flung his snare at the studio wall, signaling his decision that for him, the date was over. I think for Elvin the next few recordings had much of the same effect. It wasn't the classic quartet anymore. Live in Seattle, recorded on September 30th, 1965, is a wild show. Six tracks spread over two discs, two hours of music. He added Pharaoh Sanders again on tenor sax, and Donald Raphael Garrett on both bass and bass clarinet. I heard it through the grapevine that band members dropped acid before performing this one. That might not be true, but if they didn't drop acid that night, they definitely had the next day for the recording of OM. OM is another track that I didn't much care for 25 years ago. It sounded like noise. Recorded on October 1st, 1965, the day after the live recordings that make up the Live in Seattle album, It originally played to me as weirdness for weirdness' sake, but I listened to it on the way to work recently, and I like it. I can't do the song justice, so I will quote from a now-deleted account on Reddit who remarked a couple of years ago, Ever since I first listened to Ohm, it has haunted my thought space, from the chilling vocals to the cacophonous instrumentation and the inhuman noises created on this project. Pretty sure a goat makes an appearance at one point? It won't leave my head. In one word, ohm is overbearing, and I truly believe it was intended to be. This is hands down one of the most interesting and engaging listens I've had with a project. Now, that does not mean it's perfect or that everyone will like it, and he goes on from there. So yeah, it's weird, and I do believe I heard that goat as well. The last recording for the year is the album Meditations. With this album, Coltrane added both Pharoah Sanders on tenor Sax and Rashid Ali on drums. They recorded four of the same songs that they originally attempted for The First Meditations album back in September. They also added a new track called The Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Jazz historians have painted Coltrane's output as having three major works from this time period: A Love Supreme, Ascension, and Meditations. The three recordings neatly divide the year at the beginning, the middle, and at the end of the year. While they don't denigrate any of the other recordings throughout the year, They don't hold them up to be on par with the others. I don't fully agree. I get that history looks kinder on innovations and the attempts at trying different things more. But I don't believe any of the recordings with additional members in the group hold a candle to what the John Coltrane Quartet accomplished. I don't think jazz gets any better than the Transition, Sonship, or First Meditation albums. And I'll put that live version of A Love Supreme up against any live album I've ever heard. I want to be a force. For
5: good. You know, I want to be a force for real good. In other words, I know that there are bad forces. You know, I know that there are forces out here that bring suffering to others and misery to the world. But I want to be the opposite, of course. I want to be the force which is truly for good.
4: By January 1966, both McCoy Tyner and Elvin Jones had left the band. Coltrane's wife, Alice, took over on piano. Rashid Ali took over on drums. Pharoah Sanders stayed with the band on tenor sax. For me, Coltrane's music would never sound the same again. It doesn't mean that it got any worse, just different. I miss all those sounds McCoy and Elvin made together. I miss the chemistry those four guys had with one another. Like Ornette Coleman's recordings with Don Cherry, Charlie Hayden, and either Higgins or Blackwell, all four of those guys pulled the music in their direction. I think for McCoy and Elvin, the more Train added to the band, the less they felt it. Coltrane would go on to record several albums over the next year and a half. This includes Live in Japan, which includes a nearly hour-long version of the song My Favorite Things. According to a documentary I watched on TV a while back, I think it's called Chasing the Train, their trip to Japan had an overwhelming effect on his Japanese listeners. I'm not going to say they began worshipping him or anything, But his audience there held him in such high esteem, and I believe they erected some statues in his honor. For my taste, he had one more classic album in him. Interstellar Space is a duet album he performed with drummer Rashid Ali, and it's unlike anything I've heard before. Check it out. But you know, there could be more I might like. I'm still learning. 30 years on, and I'm still learning about the man's music. Perhaps John Coltrane knew that his time was short. And he knew that he had to release everything that he had left in him. He died of liver cancer at the age of 40 on July 17, 1967. That's crazy to me. He comes across as the oldest soul I've ever encountered, and I'm already nine years older than he had been when he passed. Maybe his music makes me think he's wiser than he is. Maybe my imagination makes the music more religious than it is. Maybe song titles have a psychological effect on the listener. Or maybe, just maybe, Coltrane and three fellow human beings with superhuman abilities to make music out of thin air can make believers out of us all.
5: In any situation that we find in our lives, when there's something that we feel should be better, we must exert effort to try to make it better. So it's the same socially, musically, politically, in any any department of your life. I think music is an instrument. It can uh, create the initial thought pattern, the change, you see,
1: in the thinking of the people.
4: I couldn't have said it any better myself. And with that, God bless you, John Coltrane, in the classic quartet. God bless you. All my love, Chris.
3: And that was fantastic. John Coltrane, 1965. There's so much good stuff in there that I'm probably going to go back and have another listen. Here's a list of Chris's recommendations for John Coltrane 1965. You've got to start with A Love Supreme, but I highly recommend doing this only after you've looked into his earlier works. Number two, from there, you've got to look into the following three albums, Transition, Sunship, and First Meditations. If you're able to, get a hold of that live version of A Love Supreme. Fortunately for all of us, Another live version of A Love Supreme is coming out this October, recorded in October around the time of the Live in Seattle album. Four, if you like what we have heard so far, fill in the rest of the gaps with the following. A, John Coltrane Quartet Plays. B, Dear Old Stockholm. C, Living Space. D, Meditations. And if you're going to go whole hog, try Ascension, Live in Seattle, and OM. If you'd like to hear similar spiritually related recordings, try these artists, Alice Coltrane's Journey to Sacha and Pharaoh Sanders' Karma. Pick one up and give it a listen and drop us a line and tell us what you think. Website is audiojudo.com forward slash AJDJ. You can get a hold of us at Facebook, facebook.com forward slash audiojudo does jazz, Twitter at audiojudo jazz, or you can email us at jazz. At audiojudo.com. If you'd like to email Chris directly, send it to chris at audiojudo.com. Also, if you're interested in finding some non-jazz music to listen to, give our original podcast, Audio Judo, a try. You can find more of those episodes at audiojudo.com. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time when the next episode is delivered by little old me on the subject that Chris didn't want to tackle, jazz guitarists. I hope you come back and tune in for that one. I'm going to try and do Chris proud. Until then, bye bye, everyone. (music)